Several years ago, I was out mowing the yard, and I was on the riding lawnmower, and I'm just buzzing around the yard, and I come up next to these big bushes, and I'm trying to get as close to the bushes as possible to cut the grass under the bushes so I have to weed eat as little as possible. And so I'm brushing up against these bushes, and they're rubbing against me, and little did I know that one of these big bushes has a wasp nest in it that's about this big, and that's not an exaggeration, I am not a fisherman. <laughs> it was this big, and uh, so I'm, I'm driving up around that bush, and my head, it's at head level. And so I brush up against that bush, right against that wasp nest, and before I realize what's happened, four or five wasps have stung me in the face. Now when that happens, and you're on a machine, you, you don't think about what's going on. I immediately just start crying out. I'm yelling and flinging my arms. I'm like, what just happened, you know? And, and it just seems like that when stuff happens like that, trouble comes, and it's really a surprise, and you don't realize how much trouble you're in, that the immediate reaction is just to cry out. Okay, so two weeks ago, we started with the Jehoshaphat story in Second Chronicles, and uh, we'll call that part one of a trilogy, all right? So part one, we're going to have labeled or titled Blessed Beyond Measure. So that's what we looked at two weeks ago. And then today we're going to get part two, which we're going to title Crying Out. Crying Out. So let's look at that together. Second Chronicles chapter 18. Second Chronicles 18. We're just going to read through the entire chapter here together. And so if you have your Bible, turn to Second Chronicles 18 and let's read this together. And we'll pause along the way to give comment as we look at this. So we make sure we understand exactly what's unfolding in the story. Now, Jehoshaphat had great riches and honor. Let's pause right there real quick because that's our tie-in to chapter 17, part 1, blessed beyond measure. If you remember back to part 1, Jehoshaphat is faithful before the Lord, set his heart to seek after God, and God brought blessings into his life really beyond imagination. He was completely and totally blessed because of his faithfulness to God. And so this comment that he had riches and honor is just a tie-in to help us remember Jehoshaphat has everything he needs because he's been faithful to God and God has completely taken care of him. All right, then the next phrase says, and he allied himself by marriage with Ahab. Now that sets the tone for the remainder of the story. Ahab is the king of Israel. You remember we're in divided kingdom. We have the kingdom of Israel, the kingdom of Judah. Jehoshaphat is the king over Judah, and Ahab is the king over Israel. Now, Ahab is a rebellious king over God's people. He hates God. He hates the people of God. He hates the prophets of God. He is completely rebellious, idolatrous. He is bent on going away from God. That's who Ahab is. So Jehoshaphat, who's experienced this great provision through faithfulness to God has allied himself to Ahab, one who hates God. So immediately you want to be asking the question, what went wrong? Does, Ahab, does Jehoshaphat realize what he's doing by making an alliance with Ahab? Does he recognize the trouble he's in? Does he realize he's on the riding lawnmower headed to the bush with the wasp's nest? Does he get it? This is not good. Sets the tone. Let's, let's pick it up here in verse 2. Some years later, he went down to visit Ahab at Samaria. And Ahab slaughtered many sheep and oxen for him and the people who were with him and induced him to go up against Ramoth Gilead. Ahab, king of Israel, said to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, Will you go with me against Ramoth Gilead? 
And he said to him, I am as you are, and my people as your people, and we will be with you in the battle. Things just got worse. Joshphat is not just allied himself with Ahab through marriage. He is now fighting Ahab's battles with Ahab. He's now, I'm on the same side as you. I'm going to fight the same battles as you. As your people are, so are we. This is not good. Verse 4. Moreover, Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Please inquire first for the word of the Lord. Now that's interesting. Jehoshaphat has been seeking after the Lord, been faithful, experienced God's blessings. Now he's made this alliance with Ahab who hates God. But Jehoshaphat is still interested in what God has to say. He doesn't want to go into this battle until he knows what God says. So Jehoshaphat still has a heart to seek after the Lord. He just does not realize at this point just how much trouble he is in by making an alliance with a king who hates God. So he asks if they could seek after a word from the Lord regarding the battle. And look what Ahab does. Then king of Israel, Ahab, assembled the prophets, 400 men, and said to them, Shall we go against Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall I refrain? And they said, Go up, for God will give it into the hand of the king. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not yet a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? So Jehoshaphat's watching. Okay, imagine 400 men gathered together to give testimony to the word of the Lord to the king of Israel. And they all together in unison are saying, Go fight the battle. You're going to win. The Lord says it's yours. And Jehoshaphat looks out over those 400 guys. He says, Hey, these guys all work for Ahab. They're not godly. They're not God's men. So Jehoshaphat knows there's a problem with Ahab. He looks at it and he says, the problem with these prophets is there not one guy around that can be the guy who speaks for the Lord? He wants to hear, and he recognizes there's a problem. Verse 7, the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, there is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him. For he never prophesies good concerning me, but always evil. He is Micaiah, son of Imlah. But Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say so. Now, that's pretty funny. He says, yeah, there's a guy, but I can't stand that guy. I hate what he says. He always says something against me. It's like you're wondering, Ahab, why is the problem always with somebody else? Why is it the problem is never you? It's always Micaiah and what he says. Maybe you ought to pay attention to the problem you've got. Maybe he's saying something you should listen to. But no, he hates him, can't stand him, but he relents to Jehoshaphat's question and obliges him by saying, okay, we'll send for the guy. I can't stand him, but we'll, we'll send for him. And so that's what they do. The king of Israel called an officer and said, bring quickly Micaiah, Imla's son. Now the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, were sitting each on his throne, arrayed in their robes, and they were sitting at the threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria, and all the prophets were prophesying before them. And the chief one among them, Zedekiah, the son of Chenai, made horns of iron for himself and said, Thus says the Lord, With these you shall gore the Arameans until they are consumed. And all the prophets were prophesying, saying, Go up to Ramoth Gilead and succeed, for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. So you got all these guys going crazy, prophesying in favor of the king. you got Zedekiah, who's actually acting out this battle scene with these horns and displaying they're going to destroy him. It's this massive party and celebration that the king is going to succeed. Well, meanwhile, verse 12, the messenger who went to summon Micaiah spoke to him, saying, Behold, the words of the prophets are uniformly favorable to the king. 
So please let your word be like one of them and speak favorably. Don't rock the boat again. Don't come and say what you always say and create trouble. Everybody's saying the same thing. For once, just come and say what they say. Look what Micaiah says. As the Lord lives, what my God says, that I will speak. And so Micaiah shows up. He comes to the king and the king says to him, Micaiah, shall we go up to Ramoth Gilead to battle or shall I refrain? Micaiah said, go up and succeed for they will be given into your hand. Now think about this. Micaiah has just said to the messenger, I'm only going to say what God says. That's it. And the first thing Micaiah says when Ahab asks him is the same thing all the other prophets are saying. Now, we can't hear the tone of voice, but I can just imagine that it sounded something like this. Just go on up and succeed for... They will be given into your hands, just like everybody else is saying. This sarcastic comment. Mocking the 400 prophets. Because the very next thing that Ahab says is, How many times must I adjure you to speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? This is not the first time Ahab has had this experience. He hates this guy, and one of the reasons he apparently hates him is because Micah's always making fun of his prophets. And telling him, making him see that these guys are lying. And I'm telling you the truth, but I'll say what you want to say and I'll make fun of it because this is not from the Lord. So Ahab says, hey, look, just tell me what the Lord says. Just get on with it. And so Micaiah says, verse 16, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains like sheep which have no shepherd. And the Lord said they have no master. Let each of them return to his house in peace. He basically tells Ahab, you're going to die. Look at the next words out of Ahab's mouth. Did I not tell you you'd prophesy nothing good about me, only evil? I hate that guy, you know. And Micaiah says, you haven't heard anything yet. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing on his right and on his left. And the Lord said, who will entice Ahab? king of Israel, to go up and fall at Ramoth-Gilead. And one said this, while another said that. Then a spear came forward, stood before him, before the Lord, and said, I will entice him. And the Lord said to him, how? And he said, I will go and be a deceiving spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. Then he said, you are to entice him and prevail also. Go and do so. Now therefore, behold, the Lord has put a deceiving spirit in the mouth of these your prophets, for the Lord has proclaimed disaster against you. Now what in the world's going on there? Now remember, Micaiah has said, I am only going to say what God says. The first thing he says is he says the same thing the false prophets are saying to open up this can of worms about the deception that's occurring with the prophets. And then he says, Ahab, you're going to die. And then he says what he saw in the council of heaven. And in the council of heaven, he saw God give direction to a spirit to go and entice Ahab through deceiving his prophets so that they might say something that would cause Ahab to go into battle. But then God sends Micaiah 
so that Micaiah can then unfold everything that's happening. So both Ahab and Jehoshaphat hear the truth on the backdrop of deception so that they might see what God has said. It's really incredible. I mean, Ahab has not been deceived. He's been given a choice. And God has presented Ahab, and everything in his life has come to this moment where he says, God says to Ahab through the prophet, I'm going to judge you. This is what I'm going to do. And this is how I've been doing it. Every time in Scripture you see a warning from God like this is an opportunity for the people who are being warned to turn back to God. What does Ahab do? He just continues in his rebellion. And unfortunately, Jehoshaphat is going along with Ahab in Ahab's rebellion. Then Zedekiah, verse 23, the son of Chennai, came near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, how did the Spirit of the Lord pass from me to speak to you? Imagine this for a second. You got Micaiah speaking with the kings. You got Zedekiah speaking on behalf of the 400. Micaiah says what God has said and then Zedekiah comes up and just smacks Micaiah in the face. I'm convinced that Zedekiah is a Baptist. This, is, this sounds like a church business meeting, does it not? I mean, I have a friend who's a pastor, and in his first church, uh, they were having this business meeting, and this guy's up talking about this stuff, and a guy walks down the aisle, walks right up to the guy speaking, and punches him out, just lays him out, just like what's happening. That's chaos. I was in a meeting years ago, and uh, kind of a business meeting situation, and things were getting heated, things were being said, and one of the guys talking started to have heart issues, and his internal defibrillator goes off here on the stage, and he's laid out. I mean, that's some serious chaos. There's a pastor in town in a sister Baptist church, we need to pray for this church, who this, two weeks ago, a couple deacons walked into his office with the deputy sheriff and said, we fired you, get your stuff and get out. He's like, What? This is not how you can fire me. Well, we just did. And the deputy's here to escort you. And they they fired him right there on the spot. And he left with nothing. Locked him out, changed the locks that day. I mean, that's the kind of chaos that's unfolding here. And I love what Micaiah's response is. This is so good. It's such an encouragement when you think about when you're in the middle of something that's just completely chaotic and doesn't make sense on how it's unfolding. You never expected it to unfold this way. Look what Micaiah says. He says, how did this, or Zedekiah says that, and Micaiah says, verse 24, Behold, you will see on that day when you enter into the inner room to hide yourself. What he said to Zedekiah? You claim to see, but in a few short moments, you're going to see. And when you see what God has really done, you're going to want to run and hide. You should not stand against the Lord. Then the king of Israel said, Take Micaiah and return him to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, Thus says the king. Put this man in prison. Feed him sparingly with bread and water until I return safely. See, Ahab is trying to convince himself he's going to return. 
And Micaiah says, if indeed you return safely, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, listen, all you people. Micaiah has just said to all the people, look, I want you to pay attention to what's happening. Everything that's happening right now, where you are, when you are, Everything that's unfolding right now is happening so that you might see and seek after the Lord. So you watch, you listen, you pay attention to what's happening, and you will see that the Lord is working so that you might turn to Him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, went up against Ramoth Gilead. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle, but you put on your robes. So the king of Israel disguised himself, and they went into battle. At that point, you could be asking, is Jehoshaphat just dumb? I mean, what is wrong with this guy? I mean, all along, he sat there, and he's heard Micaiah say, don't go, Ahab's going to get killed. Well, that cannot be good for Jehoshaphat either. He said, don't go into battle. This is not going to turn out good. This is not God's will for you guys to do this. And what does Jehoshaphat do? I'm going to go. And then Ahab says, hey, i got a great idea. When we go, I'm going to disguise myself. Just in case Micaiah is right, I'm going to try to hide. And you dress up like me, okay? Okay. Great idea, you know? What in the world? The Bible is so funny sometimes. Man. But, but here's the truth. You know, Jehoshaphat is where he should not be. Right? And he's doing what he should not be doing. Isn't that right? Haven't you been there? Where you shouldn't be doing what you should not be doing and you end up doing stuff that if, you'd, if you were anywhere else looking at you, you'd say that was the dumbest thing you've ever done. I mean, haven't you been there? See, whenever we get ourselves in a place where we're doing what we should not do, where we should not be, it's really hard to get out of that. And we do some really dumb stuff, don't we? As funny as his story is, it's really a sad commentary on all of our stories. Isn't it? Joshphat does not know how much trouble he's really in. He is in big trouble. Now the king of Aram had commanded the captains of his chariots, saying, Do not fight with small or great, but with the king of Israel alone. So when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat, they said, It is the king of Israel. And they turned aside to fight against him. But Jehoshaphat cried out, and the Lord helped him. And God diverted them from him. When the captains of the chariots saw that it was not the king of Israel, they turned back from pursuing him. It's my favorite part of the story. Jehoshaphat is where he should not be, doing what he should not be doing. And when he realizes just how much trouble he's really in, he cries out to the Lord. And the Lord, Rescues Jehoshaphat. He wasn't where he should be. He wasn't doing what he's supposed to be doing. 
But it didn't stop God from hearing his cry. It gave God opportunity to rescue Jehoshaphat. Because everything that was happening to Jehoshaphat was creating an opportunity for Jehoshaphat to cry out to the Lord. And he did. And God rescued him. Meanwhile, Ahab's trying to hide in the midst of the battle. Wearing his little disguise, running around behind chariot, behind chariot, avoiding all situations, scared to death for his life, believing he can actually hide from God. A certain man drew his bow at random and struck the king of Israel in a joint of the armor. So he said to the driver of the chariot, turn around, take me out of the fight, for I am severely wounded. And the battle raged that day. And the king of Israel propped himself up in his chariot in front of the Arameans until evening. He was just looking. He was just watching. He was seeing that what God had said was right. And he still didn't cry out. And he died. You can't hide from God. They have every reason to cry out. But he didn't. And that arrow that was shot randomly was guided by the wrath of God and fell full upon Ahab. And he died. Jehoshaphat, who cried out to the Lord, was delivered and safely returned home. Look what happened to him when he came home. Chapter 19, verse 1. Then Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned in safety to his house in Jerusalem. Jehu, the son of Hanani, the sayer, another prophet, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord and so bring wrath upon yourself? Jehu says to Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, don't partner with those who hate God, as if those who hate God have something to offer you that you need. Everything you need is found in the Lord. So stop participating in the rebellion of those who hate God. Trust in the Lord. He continues and he says to Jehoshaphat, verse 3, but there is some good in you. If you've removed the Asherah, from the land, you've removed idolatry and you've set your heart to seek God. Trust in the Lord. Get, get those alliances out of your life, Jehoshaphat. You don't need those. What you need is the Lord. And they're still good in you because you have set your heart to seek the Lord. And that sets us up for part three next Sunday. Now, if you're living in the day of the chronicler, And you're hearing this story. You've come back out of exile. You're living in Jerusalem. And frankly, you don't have very much. You've come out of exile. You've come back and you've pieced together things and rebuilt the city and rebuilt the temple as best you can. But you don't have a lot. You don't have a king on the throne. You're just not the nation you used to be. And you're surrounded by people that you would perceive as stronger and able to help you establish yourself and find alliances that will be beneficial. And the chronicler is telling this story so that the people would not be like Jehoshaphat. Don't make alliances with people that are in rebellion to God. Don't help people who hate 
God. Don't look for benefit from the people who hate God. Just trust the Lord. Keep on trusting Him because you are right where you are, right when you are, out of the exile because God has placed you where you are with all your perceived weakness so you will trust in Him and Him alone. Trust Him. And here we are today reading the same story and it's supposed to encourage us as well. I mean, think about your life. Everything in your life, everything, is creating opportunity after opportunity for you to seek after the Lord. Think about where you live. I mean, just, just living in this creation here in Abilene. You can look around and see life all around you. You can see the fingerprint of God just on creation around you. You, you break down all of creation. You figure out what is making all this stuff be what it is. Where does life come from? And you can't answer that question except through the person of God. Any, any explanation of creation that's devoid of God is insufficient because life comes from God. See, God has given you your life and placed you where you are, when you are, so that you would Seek Him. Everything that's happening in your life right now, the circumstances, the situations, the people, the things that's touching and affecting you, everything you went through this last week, everything is happening in your life so that you might cry out to God, so you might seek Him. There's nothing that's happening in your life right now. There's nothing that you're facing right now that's not put into your life, that's not allowed to be in your life, that God has not orchestrated so that you might seek after Him. We're all right in the middle of right where God has placed us so that we might find Him. And you know what each one of us has done with our lives? This life that God has given us, He's placed us in, He's put us in so that we might seek after. You know what every one of us has done? I mean, you could describe it as we have gone where we shouldn't go, we have done what we shouldn't do. The, the way the Bible describes it in, in, in regard to each of our lives is that every one of us have sinned against God and fallen short of His glory. All of us. We've just done what we shouldn't have done. We've gone where we shouldn't have gone. We, every one of us at some level have made decisions along the way that, that say, I am making alliances with things or people or situations that are against God. Every one of us at some point has done something like lying or stealing or cheating or being jealous or being angry or being mean, gossiping, lusting. We, we've done all these things making alliances with things or people or situations that are away from, bent away from God. But really it all boils down to the fact that every single one of us have made decisions in our life that we will not worship God and God alone. Every one of us. And we're in trouble. Every one of us is in trouble. Because the arrow of God's wrath is aimed at us because of our sin. And we cannot hide from God. You cannot disguise your sin. You cannot cover it up. You cannot pretend it's not there. You cannot erase it. You cannot do enough good to overcome it. It is there and you cannot hide from God. And the arrow of God's wrath is aimed at you. You are the sole target. 
just like Jehoshaphat. And the only remedy for you and for me is that we cry out to God because we realize just how much trouble we are in. We so need to see our desperate need to cry out to the Lord. That we all far too often frequent the places we shouldn't go and the things we shouldn't do. Our, our hearts are far too often not set on God alone, but distracted by so many alliances. And we need to cry out. And God has given us a remedy. He will deliver us and He has proven that He can and will deliver us if we cry out, even if we are as far away from Him as we could possibly imagine. Even if we are doing everything we should not do and everywhere we should not go, God will still hear our cry and He has proven it. You remember what Micaiah said to Ahab? He said, the sheep are going to be scattered Without the shepherd, the king's going to die and the sheep are going to scatter. You see, that wasn't the end of the story for Israel. All God's people, Israel and Judah together, were given a promise that there would be a king that would come that would sit on the throne of David forever. Yes, Ahab died and yes, the sheep were scattered, but that wasn't the end of the story. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, the king of the Jews, King over Israel. And Jesus Christ was the king, the shepherd over his sheep. But you know what? Jesus Christ died and the sheep were scattered. There is a major difference between Ahab and Jesus. Ahab died because of his own sin. Jesus never sinned against the Father. And that allowed him to be the one who could die on behalf of all our sins. Jesus Christ did not die for His own sins. He died for our sins. And then He rose from the grave giving proof to every one of us that Jesus Christ can deliver us if we cry out. If we cry out, He will forgive us. If we cry out, He will deliver us. If we cry out, He will listen even if we are right in the middle of where we shouldn't be and we have gone where we shouldn't go. He will deliver us. He is our Savior. And he has proven that he will deliver you if you cry out. And we all need to cry out. And everything in our lives is creating opportunity after opportunity for us to cry out to the Lord and be delivered. Everything. And you know what Jesus Christ promised? He promised to send His Spirit to those who cry out to Him. You know what His Spirit is busy doing for the rest of our lives as we seek the Lord? The same thing that Jehu did with Jehoshaphat. Isn't that interesting? You see, Jehu comes to Jehoshaphat and says, Jehoshaphat, this sin in your life, you need to get it out. You need to keep trusting the Lord. That's what the Spirit of God's doing in our lives. We cry out to the Lord and He delivers us. Then He sends the Spirit to us after we have been delivered to then for the rest of our lives say, you have this alliance, you need to get that out because you need to trust in the Lord, you need to experience the bounty of His deliverance. 
you got this alliance, you need to get that out. I want you to know you've got this sin, I want to take care of that sin. You've got this situation, I want to fix that. you got this, leave that behind. You don't need that. You need Jesus Christ. For the rest of your lives, the Spirit of God is going to be reminding you, you still got sin in your life, but we can fix it. Second thing the Spirit of God is going to remind you, same thing that Jehu reminded Jehoshaphat. You still got some good in your life. The Spirit of God is going to come to you and say, you've got sin in your life, and I want to fix it. But you also have good in your life, and I want you to depend on it. You know what the good is that the Spirit of God reminds us of? It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God comes to us and says, yes, you've got sin in your life, and I want to fix that, but I want to tell you what's in your life that is a guarantee that I'm going to fix that. It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. See, when you confess the Lord Jesus Christ, when you cry out to Him, He takes your sin and your guilt and your shame, and He removes that from you. And He, in the place of your guilt and shame, places His very own righteousness so that no matter how far you might go away from Him, no matter how much you might do that is not what you should do, the Spirit of God's going to come and say, I want you to fix that and I'm here to take care of it. And you need to follow me and trust me. And I want you to know that everything good in you is because of what Christ has done. Not because of what you do. Not because of what you think you should do. No, the good in you is Christ. So depend upon Him. His righteousness, and let me help you walk with Him. Get rid of these alliances. Just soak in the goodness of Christ's righteousness and keep on seeking after the Lord. That's your privilege in Christ when you cry out to Him. Why wouldn't you cry out? I mean, it's kind of like we look at Joshua and say, why are you still there? Why are you putting on the kingly robes? Why are you doing this? Wake up! The Lord is ready to deliver you. And I just want to say to you this morning, if you are where you should not be, if you're, if you're doing what you should not be doing, please hear the word of the Lord. Cry out to the Lord and He will help you. Cry out. Everything in your life Everything is creating opportunity after opportunity for you to cry out to the Lord. Every one of us. I know a guy who grew up in a Christian home. And uh, his parents took him to church every time the church was open. Godly home. I mean, incredibly godly home. Amazing situation to be raised in. I mean, everything in his life was was just being created and, and, and structured so that he would seek after the Lord. And as he grew up, as he got a little bit older, he began to realize that he had a stuttering problem. He could not speak very well. He stuttered a lot, and it made him feel very different from the kids around him. He was not like the other kids. But, but you see, he was right where he was, when he was, as he was, so that he would seek after the Lord. And in his trouble. He cried out to the Lord and the Lord delivered him and today he is a preacher and he uses his voice to call people to Jesus Christ. See, everything in your life is creating opportunities for you to seek the Lord. I know a woman who was raised in a Christian home. Her parents had her in church all the time and even from the time she was little she heard about the gospel and she was a young girl. She accepted Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. She got to be into high school, 
She went where she shouldn't go and she did what she shouldn't do. But God was still in control. See, he had her right where she was, right when she was, so that she would have opportunity after opportunity to cry out to him. And she did. And he changed her life. He delivered her. And from that point until today, decades later, she is faithfully seeking the Lord and serving him. Why? Because everything that's happening in your life, everything is creating opportunity after opportunity for you to seek after the Lord. I know a man who was a Muslim. He was raised Muslim. He had no one taking him to church, no one teaching him about the gospel, no one telling him about Jesus. Parents were Muslim. And one night as a young man, he had a dream. And in that dream, a man appeared to him, and that man was Jesus Christ. He woke up from that dream. He said, I've got to find out about this man. And he went out and found about Jesus Christ and he accepted Christ as Lord and Savior. And God has changed his life. He cried out. God delivered him. And God brought him all the way from Africa, all the way to Abilene. And he now pastors our mission church that meets this afternoon. And hundreds have come to know Christ because of him. Because everything in life is creating opportunity after opportunity for you to seek the Lord. I know another man who was raised in anything but a Christian home. It was really the opposite. In fact, before he was eight years old, his parents were arrested because they were into drug use and drug selling. It was a terrible scenario. Eight years old, without a home, has to go live with his grandparents with a whole bunch of other kids. It's a terrible situation. Then in junior high, a man is brought into his life who shares Christ with him. He prays to receive Christ, accepts the Lord. He cries out. God delivers him. But you know what he did? When he got a little bit older, he began to go where he shouldn't go and began to do what he shouldn't do. And he got in bad trouble. And while he was experiencing the consequences of the trouble he had created, he began to open his Bible and cry out to God. And the words of this book just leapt off the page. And the Spirit of God delivered him once again. Another man came into his life, began to disciple him, encourage him, and today he is a faithful father, husband, and is seeking to use his life to help other families be transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. I know another man, and he has a job that takes him away from his family for months at a time. You know anybody like that? And his life just became status quo. He wasn't leading his family, wasn't leading his kids spiritually. He just showed up to church because of ritual. He never read his Bible. His life internally was a wreck. But you see, he was where he was, when he was, because God was creating opportunities for him to seek him. And the last three times he's deployed, God's been working in his life. And he's been crying out in his trouble. In this last deployment, he said, God has spiritually rocked my world. I have never been more fired up about hearing what God has to say to me in this book. I have never been more excited about seeing who God is. His life has been transformed. His family has been transformed. Everything is changing. Why? Because in his trouble, he cried out to the Lord and the Lord delivered him. Do you recognize that outside of Jesus Christ, 
you are in trouble. And that every day we need to cry out to Jesus. Cry out. He will deliver you. And His Spirit will show you what alliances you have He wants to get rid of. And He will remind you that what is good in you is Christ's righteousness, which means you have hope for Christ's return. Cry out. You should, because everything in your life is creating opportunity after opportunity for you to seek Him.